Hey Buddha Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show, where we invite e-commerce entrepreneurs, marketers, and agencies to talk about e-commerce, the best strategies and tactics, and what to implement in your own e-com store. Before we jump into this episode, I ask you to subscribe to this podcast, and if you like it, make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. And now let's jump into the episode. Hey everyone, here is Daniel Budai with a brand new episode of the Ecom Show. And today I'm here with uh, Ferras uh, Corey, and he's the CEO and co-founder of Mansion. And this is an eight-figure jewelry e-commerce business. And also he is a partner in a Make Waves agency, and they uh, focus on uh, e-commerce marketing. So a lot of interesting things to discuss today, because uh, he owns this he runs this e-commerce business, but he also uh, partnered up with this agency. He's in this agency, just like me having my agency. So yeah, I'm quite excited. How are you today, Ferris? I'm doing well, man. I appreciate the time. Thank you. Uh, love the show and I'm excited to be here. Amazing. Are you in San Diego or somewhere else? Yep. San Diego. Yeah. I'm in San Francisco. So actually we are in the same state, same time zone. Um, I guess it's a bit warmer there. Yeah, yeah, man. No, it makes it a lot easier. You're where are you usually based? So in Europe mostly, but actually in uh, so next month I will be in Miami for more more than one month. Yeah. Oh god. Okay. Yeah. I travel quite a bit, so it's it's good. You and I ended up in the same time zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite randomly. So first of all, tell us more about the brand, the jewelry brand. When did you launch this? Are you the only founder? Do you have a co-founder? And at all, this was your first business back then? Yeah, yeah. So I have uh, two co-founders. Um, our first year in business was 2020, prior to COVID. So we kind of were, were doing all this work leading up to it um, and then launched at the very, very beginning of the year. And then COVID happened and uh, it was a very interesting time. So, you know, the whole, the whole uh, we had just moved into a warehouse like just before COVID happened and everything kind of shut down. And we were like, holy shit, this is wild. Like our orders aren't getting fulfilled. They can't hire help, any of that stuff. But we, we could talk about that story a little bit later. Um, yeah, long story short, uh, Mansion stands for Man on a Mission. That's why there's two S's. Okay. Just slap those words together. Um, our tagline is set yourself apart. And our goal is to create premium jewelry um, at accessible price points. Uh, so we don't quite... Uh, really like the fast fashion brands that are out there, the H&M's, the Zara's, all the stuff that you find in the mall for the most part. And then a lot of people can't really afford like the David Yermans of the world, right? So there was nothing that really had high quality, real gold, real silver uh, products, bracelets, necklaces, everything with a brand that we could really resonate with. And so, um, you know, we started this aspirational, charismatic brand, and that's kind of the whole ethos of what we do at Mansion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just to give us a better understanding, what's the price point of the product? Yeah, so we're actually uh, we've continued going up market. Like our when we first launched, we boot we bootstrapped the company. So when we first launched, our average order value was like very low. It was like sixty bucks, sixty five bucks. Wow. Right, and I'm not going to say what our average order value is now, but um, I mean we've more than uh, actually doubled that. So sorry, I'm getting a call. Let me shut this down. Um, yeah, we more than doubled that. 
So uh, we've continued to move up. Most of our stuff is in the price range of like one to $200. Uh, but we also sell like solid gold, which is actually up to like two, three, four thousand dollars mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I found those on the website actually. And uh, yeah, gold, I guess silver as well, or only gold. How, how many you know, different metals do you have? Or, you know? Yeah, so we do. So that was kind of the thing that we wanted to do. We're like, how do we keep the pricing relatively low while still offering super high quality stuff so we do pure silver so we kind of have like three levels of the metals we do pure silver we do something called vermeil which is a sterling sil- the same silver and then we have a very thick layer of 18 karat gold mm-hmm. and then we do solid gold so for anyone like silver is accessible price point but for anyone that wants solid gold we have that too but if they want a gold looking high quality piece without the price tag they can go for like that uh what yeah. we call vermeil yeah yeah Got it. And uh, so where is that point where you say uh, it's just too expensive, it's too luxurious to sell this item in my store? Where is that point? We don't really have that point. We kind of look at it like um, we look at the jewelry space in kind of like three segments. We look at it as like fast fashion, which you see a lot of like, you know, fake beads, um, stainless steel, right? Non-precious metals, very inexpensive to make. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have what we call ultra premium. So it's the Yermans, the Cartiers of the world, right? And we kind of look at our company as like the shepherd between people who are moving from fast fashion, but don't yet have the means or the desire to spend $2,000 on a bracelet, Right. So we kind of we we think that our starting point, we believe and we know that our starting point is right around like that hundred dollar range up to like two, three hundred dollars. That's where most of our stuff lives. And then we also offer the super premium stuff to help people. We're kind of we're basically trying to pull people up from fast fashion and pull people down from the super premium. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, okay. And uh, when you launched the business, how did you get your first customers? Because as you said, sixty seven dollars AOV so definitely not the cheapest products not 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 super high priced either so yeah how did you get the first customer um that so that was early on the AOV but basically what we did was uh so this was 2020 and we just threw threw a bunch of stuff up on the site and we spent $50 a day on Facebook <laughs> and so we got an order right because this whole thing is it's a formula right? It's traffic times conversion rate times AOV equals sales. So it's like, you don't really have inputs to that formula until you have traffic, right? And then you can see, okay, I spent 150 bucks and I got a $70 sale. Okay. That's not sustainable. So how do we tweak this? Yeah. 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 And, uh, I'm curious how, so you, you launched in 2020, right? You said just before COVID, right? Mm -hmm. Um, how in the past four years, almost four years, how did this formula change? Or, or also, I'm just curious what made the biggest impact because <clears throat> I can see this again and again that e-commerce business owners they tend to focus on traffic and traffic acquisition. You know, just more leads, more traffic, all of that, and uh, they they usually neglect um, conversion rate of the website and then retention, LTV, uh, the AOV, all of these more backend metrics, which is actually many times it's easier to scale the business there, not by buying more traffic. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I think early, early on, 
things were, I don't want to say easier, but things were a little bit different, right? Like for example, customer acquisition costs were much lower at the beginning, mm-hmm. right? And as more competition, as you know, security tightens up, et cetera, all these different factors come into play, CAC continues to rise and businesses have to adjust accordingly, right? So what does that actually mean? That means looking at, of course, you want to focus on your acquisition as well, right? You you never want to drop the ball on that. I think a lot of people just kind of mail it in on creative and stuff, but I'll, I'll set that aside for now. Yeah. I think what's important is you look at your business holistically and you say, okay, acquisition is for the growth. Retention is for the profit, right? So how do we maximize both? So if you're able to, I think it's very important to be first purchase profitable, right? A lot of people kind of like blew it out as far as acquiring customers and hope that the retention would pick it up or subscription yeah. or whatever it may be. I think yeah. it's important to be first purchase profitable. So that answers your your first question. That was one of the things that we focused incredibly heavy on with increasing our average order value and making sure that our margins were still there. So that was one piece. Um, the next piece is with jewelry, retention is something that you really have to focus on, right? Because it's like how many gold chains does one person need? How many gold bracelets does one person need? How do you keep it exciting and, and keep them coming back? So retention was a massive focus for us, you know, looking at repurchase rates, customer lifetime value, uh, basket analysis, how do we cross sell and upsell properly so that people, you know, not only increase their their average ticket, but also come back and purchase again as quickly as possible, right? So really leaning into understanding that men don't always know how to style themselves and helping them, right? Giving them the benefit of us styling them for them, right? Making it easy to purchase. If you buy this, you'll look like this. So I, I know that was a lot, but those were two things we focused on. And of course, with that, you know, you got to have like your you got to be laser focused on conversion rate. You should always be split testing. But if I was to narrow it down to two things, I would say try to be as profitable as you possibly can on your first purchase. And I see a lot of brands, even like on the agency side right now, there is a massive, massive focus on retention. Yeah, definitely. And especially in the last few years, uh, we can see this tendency that uh, retention, uh, it got more and more important. And companies like Clavio or Gorgeous or all of these tools that can help e-commerce businesses with their retention. They also massively grew. Clavio IPO last year. So I think now it's more than $10 billion that evaluation. So that's kind of crazy. Um, yeah. And uh, also you had a huge growth. So you became an eight-figure company after just a few years. Um, is there anything specific you would mention as the key to success? Um, I mean, it was, it was an interesting time, right? Like you got to kind of look at all of the factors, right? COVID was a factor, a negative and a positive, um, pre iOS 14.5 was a factor, negative Mm -hmm. and positive. Those were just like kind of macro factors. Um, but as far as the micro factors go, it's like, it's really, really important to just understand your business holistically. I think now, especially brands are forced to run a very tight ship. Right. Again, with rising customer acquisition costs and such, it's like, how do you make sure that you're as dialed as possible across the board? Because you can't stuff a leaky bucket. Right. You got to have you got to make sure like everything from your acquisition to everything on your website, to everything on your retention is being focused on. Whereas I think before it was very acquisition focused, super acquisition focused. Right. And I think I think nowadays you need to make sure that you understand 
where potential leaks could be and you know tech partners that can help you plug those leaks right that's super important um strategies that can help you you know low low cost strategies that can help you plug those leaks again ie retention you know how are you standing out on the acquisition side in a marketplace where there's a million people trying to do the same thing and everyone's fighting for the same customers so for us it was really like okay understand your demographic understand what they're really coming to you for and try to negate like lean in, into the strengths of your product and try to um overcome the weaknesses so like again for us jewelry it's a it's a sexy product it's very visual i don't have to explain to anybody what, yeah. a, what a jewel what a bracelet is so that definitely helps right but that causes some um tailwind or uh, headwinds on the retention side you know also not every guy in the world wears jewelry so some you know sometimes you have to convince people to wear jewelry and that's like step one and then you got to convince them to buy yours right whereas like everybody wears a t-shirt everyone wears shoes whatever yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so what are the can you mention a few you know tailwinds as you said so what are the difficulties in jewelry i know Actually, retention can be hard, especially with the uh, high-priced items. Um, as you said, your price price range is is not fast fashion, but not luxury. Maybe some items. We used to work my agents with a few luxury jewelry items, and you know when they sell jewelry for five k, maybe even ten k, retention is is hard. People don't buy it every month, so it's not easy. Uh, we, I can see the same with some. Uh, home decor furniture rents. You don't buy furniture for 10K every month. So it's mattresses, mattress companies, so all of these. Um, yeah, I'm curious, uh, you know, what, what are the main difficulties, if you have to mention a few? Yeah, I mean, you hit it, you hit it a few of them on the head there. So like for us, initially, it was being, you know, making sure that we're as profitable as we possibly can be on the first purchase, right? So we, we ended up getting there, thankfully, and a lot, you know, there was a lot that went into that conversion rate, you know, uh, increasing the actual increasing prices, releasing products that are higher prices, et cetera, et cetera. So ton that went into there. Um, I mentioned a few other ones. So you, first of all, not every guy wears jewelry. Yeah. Right. So there's that. I'm a good example, by the way. I have a bracelet somewhere, but it's not gold or anything. It's just more like a wooden bracelet. Uh, and I have a ring that I rarely, uh, you know, uh, wear. So I'm a good example. I, I don't have, I never had golden or silver things. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Right. But I'm so, someone who you could convince. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> That's good to know. Apparently, we haven't done that good of a job, though, because you don't have any jewelry. So, <laughs> yeah, so there's uh, <clears throat> so there's that. Um, and you also have limited real estate, right? So you have a neck, a wrist, fingers. Yeah. A lot of guys don't wear rings, right? So now you look at the wrist. What's on the wrist? Watches, right? So you're competing against watches and people who don't wear jewelry yeah right neck a little bit easier i think um i know um necklaces are a little bit more safe and normal for guys right yeah, yeah, yeah. and then followed by probably bracelets and then i think rings are probably the least normal for yeah, them. yeah so that was a, a a little bit of a, a headwind and then you have um the fact that you know, it's not a it's not a consumable, 
in the sense of like a t-shirt you would expect it to eventually fade whatever whatever shoes same thing jeans same thing even though a little bit longer on so it's not you know when you're selling a quality product the expectation is that it's going to hold up so how do you want them how do you expect them to continue buying from you yeah 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 um i think in this case uh, a referral program is something very helpful and i can see this with these furniture brands mattress, mattress brands that retention okay and returning customers it can happen but uh referrals is even more interesting because uh there are many guys who don't wear anything so somebody got convinced like me and then i refer my friends uh, yeah exactly yeah referral programs also like gifting holidays are very big for us mm -hmm. um you know you can kind of leverage women as well to to gift toward men because a lot of men just don't yeah. have fantastic style so you can leverage the men and then also the women to get them you know to look good yeah yeah hey buddha nation welcome to the ecom show i ask you to subscribe to this podcast and if you like it make sure you share it with at least one friend as you probably know we don't run ads our growth is purely organic so it would mean the world to me if you could support us and now let's jump into the episode so let's talk about the agency um make wave agency when did you join and in what way did you join this uh, agency? Yeah, it's actually a funny story. So um, I hired, I, I posted something on Instagram several years ago looking for a photographer and a mutual friend connected me to this guy named TJ and we hired him for uh, Mansion as a, as a photographer. We just became really, really good friends. And um, TJ worked for a number of consumer brands uh, doing videography and photography for, uh, you know, a decade, whatever. And then, although he's young, he's 31, he's younger than me. And uh, he ended up starting Make Waves Productions as a production company, straight video, photos and videos. Um, he was telling me, uh, I think it was late, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago or so, about how he wanted to turn this into like a full-blown agency. And at the time... You know, uh, I've been approached by several other brands to kind of be a part of their, um, you know, whether it's consulting or like equity, whatever, or, you know, they're, they'll ask me to, you know, who do you know that does this? Who do you know that does that? Mm -hmm. And as a brand owner, I've hired and fired a shit ton of agencies on my own because I just thought they all sucked. Right. And like so, most agencies, you know, right? huh? Like most agencies. Uh, dude, a lot. There's a lot that sucked. And it's not, it's, I don't think they're bad people. I just think that times were a little bit different. And I think people were a little slow to evolve. And I think a lot of agencies are transactional and one dimensional, and they don't really understand yeah. the business yeah. and how what they do fits into it. So I think it's critical that agencies evolve into being more of like growth partners where they mm -hmm. work hand in hand with customer clients, right? Partners to grow their business, looking at full channels. Yeah. Instead of just, I'll pay you whatever to get 10 deliverables. It's like, we don't even put deliverables in our contract. We put zero deliverables. Yeah. Our deliverables are results. Yeah. And whether we get it with X amount of effort or Y amount of effort, that's on us. Yeah. Right. That's great. So um, long story short, uh, that's kind of, that's it, it. We kind of activated the e-com side of things. Uh, it's only been like six months. Okay. So it's a relatively new thing for you. Yeah, and there's three of us. So TJ is like content, 
Eric is like retention, email SMS, and then I bring like the e-commerce knowledge and kind of jack of all trades, like tie tie everything together. And then we have yeah. like the our team. And you have time for this as well. Yeah, I'm not the CEO of that, so yeah. that's that's TJ problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back to the agency world. So I I really agree there, and that was a big thing for me as well to realize. So in my agency, I'm the only owner. I'm the founder. You know, it's still my first business. I run this since 2018, and back then, 18, 19, before COVID, you know many agencies and we as well like okay let's do email marketing set this up deliverables you know all of that scope of work that's it but i think uh especially with the advent of ai and you know a lot of things change in the past one two years you have to be more holistic and as you said be, being a growth partner that's crucial and actually this year we are adding more services like front-end acquisition like ads uh, ad creatives CRO, a lot of things, and uh, more like an e-commerce growth partner. That's how I see my agency as well. And I can see most agencies. I think they they are not gonna make it. Um, you know, they they are just stuck in the box of being an email agency or Facebook ad agency or something else SEO agency. And uh, yeah, it, it becomes harder and harder. Um, yeah. yeah, we'll never say we're an email agency, mm -hmm. although we're really, really, really good at email and SMS, right? Yeah. But that's just one method of being a retention specialist, Yeah, right? There's physical mail, there's mobile applications, there's that, there's product side to it, there's a website side to it, there's every, there's everything, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So well, that's why we'll never be like, hey, pay us whatever, X amount of thousands of dollars a month and we'll give you 12 emails per month. Like you could go to freelancer.com and get that, right? You're not going to get yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. One thing, <clears throat> if anyone is listening who runs an agency. So just recently I started looking, looking into acquiring other agencies mm -hmm. <clears throat> and actually it gave me a very good bird's eye view of the whole market. And then you start understanding this whole agency and e-commerce world much better. Uh, you can see what other companies do, how is their cash flow. So personally, it helped me a lot to understand the big picture. While if you are in, you know, you just work in your own agency all day, all night, then it's hard to see the big picture. So for me, it was very helpful. Yeah, I know this is uh, this is your show here, but I, I guess I'll ask you one question. Was there anything that shocked you or any one major takeaway while doing that, that you that you didn't think of or that you thought everybody knew? Hmm, great question. When I looked at other agencies and their numbers, um, actually, you really got me now. <laughs> there, there are many takeaways and I don't remember any of them, but maybe one one would be that, I and I saw an Instagram story the, yesterday, uh, I think it was Cody Sanchez. She's getting popular now on Instagram. And she said that the average American thinks that the average margin EBITDA of a small business is 37%, while the reality is 6%. That's a huge difference. And when I take a look at other agencies' numbers, I can see the same. That, And also people, they are not very transparent about their numbers. Of course, you don't have to say your numbers to everyone, but you know, I think the whole business community 
could be more transparent about it because that's how you can improve. That's how you can realize your numbers are not good, actually. Um, yeah. And actually, we used to have this situation as well. We had months when we didn't make any money or we lost money. I think two or three years ago, we were in red regarding the whole year. Mm-hmm. And everyone thinks that agent, the agency business is a high margin business. I mean, can be. Now we are very profitable, but back then it was, you know, in red. Um, so, yeah, you have to learn how to do things well, charge the right, right price. You have to know your operations very well. What so was the biggest thing, thing that you changed to go from red to to mm-hmm. to, to uh, black? So we hired a uh, financial controller two years ago who used to work for big companies like Mercedes, uh, Flextronic. So, you know, big corporations. He managed, I think, one billion euros at some point in the budget. So he's a smart guy and he knows not just the numbers, the spreadsheet, but also the the um, different actions that, you know, drive the money and all of that. Mm. And uh, after we hired him, he really organized our cash flow statements, PNL, all of that. And then we make our account managers accountable for the accounts that they manage mm. and just really aligning people uh, with your own interest and the company's interest. And then, you know, everything just got better uh, from month to month. And now we are very profitable. I don't want to mention numbers, but you know, that is the reason why I think about acquiring other companies now. So no, it's amazing, man. I love it. I'm always asking questions. So you just tell me, <laughs> shut up. I know this is, this is yours. Yeah. It's a two way conversation. Of course. Uh, I don't know. Do you have any similar experiences regarding just other businesses? Uh, do you take a look at other agencies, e-commerce businesses? Maybe you check their numbers. You can do that when they want to sell. Yeah. Um, no, I do. And and being on the agency side has actually given me a firsthand experience into how very notable brands operate and mm-hmm. small brands, right, across the board. So it really gives you a perspective on the unit economics for different types of products right? Whether you're selling to men or to women, whether it's a consumable or a fashion product, whether it's a high repurchase rate, a low repurchase rate, right? So it's really given me a plethora of information to kind of understand the, the landscape. I don't know if, you know, looking at these different brands, I I guess this is going to sound stupid because our focus is retention. And I'm not just saying that because our focus is retention, but there is a massive push for that right now. And I think it's only going to continue. Whereas I think before it was very heavily lopsided toward acquisition and it's slowly shifted. And now, not that people are forgetting acquisition, of course, it's still, you know, it's the tip of the spear. Retention can't live without uh, acquisition, right? But it's like, you know, even, even companies that you would expect so like but prior to even being involved in the agency as a brand we would look at other companies and be like dude their average order value is probably 250 and you know their repurchase rate is probably 15 percent in the first month and whatever and once you really get a look under the hood you start to realize that it's like you said right it's not always what you think and it's also not always a silver bullet right it's it's a full core press everything has it's a machine 
You know, the machine has yeah. to be well oiled. You can't, you can no longer just have one shining star in your, in your business that makes up for the downfalls of everything else. Yeah. Like acquisition for many businesses a few years ago, right? Exactly. I remember the dropshipping era and, uh, yeah, it was very different back then, like 2016, 17. Um, yeah. Um, and my final question. So again, you scaled up very fast with this, with this business, with, with both actually. And, uh, what's your method for learning? How, how do you learn? Do you read books or do you watch videos? Do you have a mentor? And also what would you recommend to others? Um, all the above. Um, however, I think the best way to answer your question, so never stop learning, never stop asking questions. As you can see, like I, I ask a lot of questions, you know, I think the second that you think, you know, is the second that your downfall begins. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look yeah. at the, I like sports, right? You look at the top athletes, the Jordans, the Kobe Bryant's of the world, like they're always learning. They're always asking questions and they work harder than everybody else. So all that stuff, hard work, continuous learning, totally. I think though, for me, what's been the most important is really understanding what you're good at and really understanding what you're not. In both businesses, I have two partners and in both businesses, there's one that's more analytical than me and there's one that's more creative than me. Mm -hmm. I understand I'm not going to be more analytical than that guy and I'm not going to be more creative than this guy. But what I'm really good at is holistically and strategically building and tying things together and distilling things down to a very clear and digestible outcome. Mm -hmm. And so once I really understood what my strength was, you can start to build around you to, you know, compensate basically for all the stuff that you suck at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's not, it's not always as simple as you think, you know, people don't always like you might, you might almost know what you're really good at and you might almost know what you're not. But if you really, really take a look and sit with yourself and you really understand your core, core competency, that's something special. Yeah. And it takes time. To it takes a lot of time. Yeah. Cause you have to try, right? Yeah. I'm like, I can do this email stuff until I met somebody who really could do the email stuff. And then I realized I don't have a particular interest to do the email stuff, but I love it. So what does that mean? I don't love necessarily that. I love that. I like it a lot, but I, I love how it fits into this thing, which is building businesses. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Have you ever thought about starting a business just yourself without a partner or that's not an option for you? No, I totally can't. I have no, listen, I'm, I'm, uh, I got, a, I got a lot of time to go. Um, it has crossed my mind, but like my, this is my philosophy. I'm motivated. Money is definitely a part of it, but I'm not motivated by money. Right. I, I, I freedom achievements, and building connections with people that I love and care about are things that are more important to me than starting something by myself. I enjoy very much working with my partners and my team, having a vested interest and in being part of something that's bigger than myself. So maybe at some point I have some stuff going on on the side, um, but it's way more fun to do it with people 
that are yeah. you know they got skin in the game. Yeah, yeah. I can rarely see that someone who start someone who starts a, a business with a partner, they go back and start a business alone later. You rarely see that, or you? I cannot really see that. I I can see the opposite more that somebody is a uh, you know only founder. And then the next business is with the partner, but I can rarely see the opposite. What was the pros and cons of you starting yours by yourself? Did you have partners uh, that you brought on early on? Great question. I mean, probably two of my best friends in business. I know them before business. They launched an e-commerce brand. Now they have multiple brands in Europe and they are partners. You know, they, they run businesses together. And uh, I can see the pros and cons. Um, if you have a bad day, then the other person can pull you up and everyone has a bad day sometimes, right? But if you are alone, it's it's different. You can have good employees who can help you, but that's still different, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing for sure, which is, yeah, that's more emotional, I, I guess. Um, and then, as you said, you know, just really complementing each other someone is more creative the other person is more analytical and if you are alone then you need to hire other people to fill up those uh, spots mm-hmm. so so yeah there are pros and cons um yeah now i'm i'm talking to a lot of entrepreneurs who have partners so maybe next time i will uh, start something with a partner or even if i buy another business i can make that other person other ceo a partner in the merged companies i can see that a lot too so yeah there are many options uh here i love it good insight man i appreciate it yeah thank you faras for this interview i really enjoyed it you seem to be a very smart guy and uh i'm pretty sure you will be successful with these two companies and and even more companies if you want in the future uh, thanks everyone who listened to us today or listen will listen the podcast later and uh, in the description I will uh, put the two websites of uh, Ferris's businesses mansion and make wave agency and uh, also I will add one more link so we collected our top 100 email templates and you can download this for free uh, from our website we sent out almost 500 million emails in the past six years and we collected the best uh, 100 of them so thanks again everyone thanks for us and uh, have a great day daniel i appreciate it man talk soon thank you